great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? <laughs> That's nice to see you smile, Ryan. I was looking at our little uh, shot here, and I was like, you know, big grin, and you look like you were taking a mug shot in the closet <laughs> out there in Buckeye, Arizona. Welcome into the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. With over 30 ready-to-grill burgers, Tops is the place to pick out the juiciest, most delicious burgers in town. From beef and turkey to chicken and veggie, you'll find something for everyone. Taste the flavors of the world with unique toppings and twists on the classic burger. Top's world of burgers is yours to explore. What's up, Ryan? Hey, not too much. Excited to be talking bills with you. A juicy topic tonight for the headline. So uh, a lot to get into. You know, I, I've looked around the Internet and, you know, whenever a big time name and a position comes up, it becomes like the talk of the league, right? Like who are the who are potential landing spots, right? Like ESPN usually puts out that that article at some point with a player of Jonathan Taylor's caliber. And he is a guy that, you know, had two years ago, one of the most sensational seasons for a running back in recent memory. And, you know, you think back to Jonathan Taylor, uh, I believe it was his rookie year when the Colts came into Buffalo in that classic playoff game in the wild card round. Um, he is a spectacular talent at the position. There's there's no doubt about it. But I thought, you know, I, I was driving, listening to uh, a, a local talk radio show, and there was a caller calling in, pitching the idea. And credit to Joe DiBiase over WGR, man. He does a great job um, fielding these calls and trying to keep his sanity probably. But <laughs> the caller was like, I want the Bills to trade for Jonathan Taylor, and I'll give up James Cook. Boogie Basham and next year's first round pick. You could just hear, you know, Joe's head pop off and rightfully so. Listen, I want to get into this conversation a little bit. And the, what I feel like is the a portion of the fan base's willingness to pivot off of what's been built in the room for some of these, you know, higher caliber names, you know, whether it be, um, who was it that signed Dalvin cook before he mm -hmm. signed with the jets, right? The, the, the older guys, uh, Jonathan Taylor, I want to put him in that category. He's a little bit different. Um, but I hate the idea and I hate the idea for several reasons. Number one, you brought in two veteran backs that I think are a version of a running back that you need to complement a young player like James cook. I did the math. James cook has between college and the pros 325 about carries. Between six seasons in college and the pros, Jonathan Taylor, get ready for this, Ryan. It is monstrous. 1,700 carries in six seasons compared to five for um, James Cook, who played four years at Georgia. Um, or maybe it's four, three years at Georgia, one year uh, in the pros. I just think that there's a lot of tread on that on those tires for Jonathan Taylor. You trade for him, you get him into the mix, and then 
you know, can he help you this year? Sure. I'm sure he's, he'd even be an upgrade. A healthy Jonathan Taylor is one of the best running backs in the NFL. But then what's going to happen? You're going to have to pay a running back big-time contract top five at the position. And I just don't think the Bills are at a place in this build to be able to afford that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're in a place to do it. I don't think they want to do that. You look at how they went about free agency this year, and yes, I know uh, they were ca- cash-strapped in terms of salary cap, but they were able to go out and get Damian Harris and Latavius Murray for pennies on the dollar compared to what even some of these veterans like Delvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott have signed for uh, late in the summer. I think that the Bills know that they have to allocate their cap space in a certain way because of the contract that they've given to Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, uh, Deion Dock, and some of these key players on the defensive side of the ball. You can't be giving monstrous contracts to everyone, and they have some other people here in the near future, uh, Gabe Davis, for instance, who needs to get paid. So you, you kind of look at the landscape and where does Taylor fit into that? And he just doesn't in Buffalo. And, you know, you mentioned the wear and tear over his college career and what he's done so far in the NFL. And uh, looking at that compared to James Cook, who was on a committee in Georgia, he was on a committee last year in Buffalo. And now he kind of gets to be that lead back, but he doesn't have the, all the tread off the uh, wheels, so to speak. And he's someone that you can kind of lean on. I feel like he's gotten better across the board, including in pass protection, staying in and blocking at a nice uh, rep against Pittsburgh in that preseason game. He's a weapon. He's dynamic. He's fast. He checks a lot of the boxes. He may not be what Jonathan Taylor was uh, in terms of what we've seen out of him in his 18 touchdown season or whatever that was, where he was just kind of shredding teams on the ground. But this is just a, a team that really can't afford it. They don't want to give up the... Uh, Draft picks, again, probably a day two and a day three pick to get uh, a player of Taylor's caliber into the building and then having to give him a monstrous deal either after signing him or after the season. It's just not something that where the Bills are in in a spot to do so. Yeah, and I think like there's also something to be said for like the pivot at this point. You've... Get, you've gone all in on the room that you've built, right? Like you're building towards this, you know, James Cook coming out party at running back this year. And, you know, that that roster control over the next couple of seasons with on a rookie contract, that's valuable. That's as valuable as anything. I mean, that's why you go out and you draft running backs, whether it be in the first year. I mean, I, I would draft a running back in the first round late just because you get that, you know, that cost control fifth year if he ends up being, a stud like, you know, some of these running backs of the last couple of years have. And, you know, Saquon Barkley is a guy that comes to mind and the standoff that's going there on and there in New York. But you can really keep like kind of just spinning it forward each time, like trying to find a new, exciting, young, uh, dual threat kind of running back. And I just think, you know, the, the Bills are set up specifically to match up against teams the way things are right now. You'd have to change a lot about bring about your offense bringing in Jonathan Taylor. Like that is somebody that you, if you bring him in, you're you're going to give him carries. You are going to have to get him up to speed on the offense. I just think that there's there's definitely challenges baked in there, and it's not to me. It's not this slam dunk. Even if all things align and you want to add him to the offense, and you think that it's an upgrade, and you think it's an upgrade to what you do as an offense, it's not just that simple to me. No, it's not. I mean, 
getting players up to speed on the playbook. Look what happened last year at the trade deadline when they brought in Naheem Hines. Uh, it, it took him the entire rest of the season to, to kind of pick up the playbook. That was the general excuse that we were given in terms of why is he not more involved in the offense? Why is he only getting a few mere touches in that capacity but taking over on special teams? And that's not to say that Jonathan Taylor might not be a quicker study and get up to speed, but there's still a learning curve there with the regular season looming. I think the Bills like what they have in James Cook. I think that they were very happy with his development over his rookie season. Uh, They were able to ease him into the playbook because they had Devin Singletary at that time. And now they feel like he is ready to take on a bigger role. And I, I think he could be one of the most explosive backs in the league this year from a running perspective, a pass catching perspective. And, you know, if this was something where the Bills didn't have anything on their running back uh, at number one or on their depth chart in general, yes, maybe he would be more appealing. It just doesn't make sense to me right now from where this Bills team is uh, from a roster building standpoint, from a salary cap standpoint to go after a Jonathan Taylor. And I'm going to pivot here a little bit. I think we're going to talk about this on Thursday, but let's give people a little sneak peek on the podcast. I think sometimes we need to give that breaking news right on the podcast. You know, you got a 53 man roster projection coming out tomorrow. And we could talk a little bit about that right now, because if the bill were to make a trade and I, and I do actually think over the course of the next two weeks, I think the Bills are at the top of the list of teams around the league that are probably looking to augment their roster a little bit to strengthen at at certain positions. Like, I wouldn't rule out a deal for a veteran linebacker that you're hoping can come in here and provide some, you know, just another guy that you might be able to try out once they get up to speed on the system. Maybe somebody that's done it at a high level. I mean, I know Levante David went back to Tampa but maybe you know they're they're looking to shed that salary. Maybe they're looking to uh, maybe he signed back up there. Baker Mayfield's the quarterback, and maybe he doesn't want to be there anymore. And you know that maybe we can move some things around and get something like that done. Um, tackle is a big position, and that's one that you have the Bills actually addressing in your fifty-three man. Yeah, I have the Bills going out and trading with the uh, Arizona Cardinals for Josh Jones. I think that uh, he makes a lot of sense for this team. He's someone that is still on a rookie deal, someone that was bumped out of the starting lineup. And truth be told, the Cardinals have two guys uh, that could be, you know, I don't think both will get traded, but between Jones and Kelvin Beecham, uh, they have some players where this is a team that is not in a win now mode. I think they're in more of a rebuild mode. Uh, They have starters at the tackle positions. I could see them trading one of those tackles for a draft pick for another player. You look at their defensive line, maybe they want to bring in someone that they can evaluate over the next year or two on a player-for-player type of swap. So Jones in my or in my 53-man roster projection, which will be coming out tomorrow, as you said, uh, has Jones getting traded to Buffalo, being on this final 53-man roster. Uh, I think the Bills fans would feel a lot better about the, the tackle position, the depth at the position, if they're able to get a guy like Jones who is good enough to start in this league onto this roster, get him up to speed. And who knows if a Spencer Brown were to struggle in season, uh, you have someone that could maybe come in and, and step in as a starter. I really like this move as a guy that could come in here, a former third round draft pick 
And a kind of a little note on Jones went to Houston and obviously the bills would have seen a ton of him as they scouted Ed Oliver heavily uh, the previous draft cycle in 2019 when they drafted him in, in the first round. So this would be a player that going into this thing, they know a lot about. And if they made a move for him, it's because they probably liked him coming out and um, probably at a spot then after drafting Cody for probably not even looking uh, for a player like that. But listen, the Bills have to address the depth at tackle. Like right now, they are one injury away from being in a really, really scary spot. And that's coming from somebody who's really high on Ryan Vandemark and really high on Richard Garage. Maybe higher on Garage than almost anybody else on the B. Like I if they wanted to go Garage and Vandemark and and try to move Questenberry to the um uh, practice squad, like I wouldn't really scoff at it too much. I, I do think you need that that level of experience, but man, the level of play has been so consistently low with Questenberry. I worry about what the situation you find yourself in when you're, when you're talking about a UDFA, two UDFA guys that are young, that like probably would be third teamers for most teams around the league. And Questenberry can't even get in ahead of a guy like Vandemark. And listen, I like Vandemark. That's coming from somebody that likes the kid, likes what he can do and potential for development there. It's just not a good spot to be in. So if you can add a guy of that caliber, somebody with, you know, uh, a day two pick that hasn't worked out somewhere else, maybe let Aaron Cromer work with him a little bit. I just think that that could be a really interesting move. I like it a lot. Yeah. And and listen, you know, Cromer gets a lot of uh, skepticism, I guess, especially in our show insider text line. We'll, we'll get fans saying, you know, should, the, should he be on the hot seat? I look at the development of a Van DeMarc and what he's done with Garage so far since getting him as a UDFA, and I like what he's done. But the problem is, like you said, you know, Van DeMarc's good on one side, the left side. He struggled mightily on the right side. Maybe in this final preseason game, he'll get to play a lot of reps on the right side and, and kind of uh, show what he can do there with, with a second audition. Garage looked really good at, uh, again, left tackle in the first preseason game. I thought he was pretty consistent in the second game as well against Pittsburgh, but he didn't really move up the depth chart much. Questenberry's ceiling is known. We know he hasn't played the, the best. So I think that uh, acquiring a tackle is the way to go about it. And it, it's important for Bills fans to note that I think trading for a tackle is a priority because when these players get released, there's the... Uh, they all have to they go through the roster roster claims and the bills are going to be low on that list. So if a a top uh, young you know tackle that teams like are out there, he's, they're probably going to get claimed before the bills can kind of even go after them. So I, I think a linebacker falling through the cracks and falling to the bills in the waiver process that's a little bit different. That's a little bit more realistic. But a tackle, I think they're going to have to be proactive in trade. Hence a Josh Jones type of acquisition. A um, lot to get to on this Tuesday episode. And just to give people a little bit of insight into the week, we moved up this episode one day so we could come back on Thursday with an episode before uh, the final preseason game against the Bears. And we're going to talk a little bit more that day. You know, talk about the top storylines going into that one and like who are the players that are like, maybe battling for not only their roster lives, but maybe in those position battles, who's going to play, who's not going to play. We'll get into kind of more of that on Thursday. Um, let's kind of go into where things stand with the moves that have happened over the last couple of days, where we're at in terms of what we kind of think 
uh, is the logic behind it. We have not talked to Brandon Bean, so we do not um, know too much on the new additions. But obviously, Tommy Doyle. And for a moment here, we could talk about, unfortunately, Shane Ray suffers a hamstring injury that much worse than I think anybody thought initially. The Bills end up putting him in a season-ending injured reserve um, along with Tommy Doyle. Really sad development for a guy that's had a really good summer. Like somebody trying to get back into the NFL has been a really good story. Enjoyed talking to him uh, the one or two times I have. And it's just a kind of a bummer for him that that's how things go. And then obviously Brandon Shell a couple of days ago put on um, the retired list, the reserve retired list. So that opened up three spots. They added three more. But thoughts on uh, the situation with Shane Ray? Yeah, Shane Ray, it's unfortunate because he waited so long for this comeback. He had that uh, emotional post after he signed with the Bills about the you know dark thoughts and thinking he should give up at times, but wanting to keep pushing through. Um, for fans that aren't you know familiar with Shane Ray, former first round pick of the Denver Broncos, wins a Super Bowl in his first season, has uh, eight sacks and eight starts in his second year. And then wrist injuries plague him. He has at least four wrist surgeries over the next two years. Uh, Denver doesn't pick up the fifth-year option. He gets all, he gets to the Baltimore Ravens, gets caught on their final cut downs, and then he's just kind of out of the league because of the pandemic year in 2020. So in 2021, he joins the CFL, and he plays two years there, and he plays pretty well in the CFL before finally getting this opportunity in Buffalo. And like Matt said, he flashed at times. He played well. So for him to suffer this hamstring injury, get put on the IR, it's very unfortunate. Now, there is a silver lining, Matt. If he does heal up at some point this season, the Bills can release him off of the IR, uh, making him a free agent that can sign anywhere. And within a period of time, and I don't have exactly how many weeks the Bills would have to wait, the Bills could, bless you, uh, technically re-sign him to their roster, but there is a given period of time, a, a certain amount of time they'd have to wait before they could re-sign him. So uh, if he does heal up, if it's not uh, truly season-ending, they can release him off of that IR and then kind of uh, get him back onto the roster later in the year. Um. Yeah, so it, bummer on Shane Ray. Uh, great guy. Uh, we'll we'll kind of follow that story, see where it ends up uh, in the next couple of months. So the Bills had to fill some roster spots. So they did so in, in a couple of ways. Garrett McGinn, now in his third stint, uh, played tackle yeah. with the Arlington Renegades of the XFL, won himself a, a little uh, championship uh, a couple months ago, turns that around, gets a tryout with the Bills, they're going to give him a chance. So it's kind of an audition for him. I think he's probably more of a potentially a practice squad guy if he does have a really good uh, game against the Bears. Uh, but somebody that you know comes back into this the situation, they're familiar with him. Um, not the guy that I think a lot of Bills fans wanted Brandon Bean to kind of look out there and address, try to try to add in some more legitimate competition. Not to say that McGinn's not legitimate competition. He's just, you know, this is a guy that's been fighting to get back in the league, uh, been a practice squad guy. Um, and so not the, the kind of the same cal caliber. They signed uh running back uh, Ty Johnson, who was uh, injured in April, uh, non-football injury torn pack. The Jets ended up cutting him. He ends up signing with the Bills, and I want to get your thoughts. Let's let's pause here for a second and talk about him because I think like the first inclination, a lot of fans were like, "What does this mean, maybe for Damian Harris?" Like Damian Harris is is locked into this roster. 
Like Mm -hmm. 100% in my opinion. And if you have a different opinion, we we could talk about that. To me, this is an opportunity for an interesting player. The Bills are ultra familiar with. He can come out here in the preseason finale, have his kind of audition with a chance to probably play a little bit because I doubt that any of the top three running backs are going to play on Saturday. And then also there's the kind of piece of it, the chess game that Brandon Bean's always playing. The guy played for the Jets the last three years. I mean, you know, any intel that you can gather uh, ahead of this very important AFC East showdown to open the season is valuable. Yeah, so first of all, all three signings, Bills fans need to remember that in this preseason finale, the starters, the uh, depth guys that are pretty much locks for the 53, they're not going to play much, if at all. So you just need guys that can go out there and play, and I think you know that's where it kind of starts with all three of these signings. But Ty Johnson uh, specifically is very interesting. He's flashed a little bit in his career. He has a 100-yard rushing performance under his belt from his first year with the Jets. He was previously with the Lions before that. Uh, good pass-catching bat, can play on special teams, can – Uh, be a kick returner for you in a pinch. So I think he could wear a lot of hats in this final preseason game against the Bears, but I don't see a path to the 53-man roster for him after adding him. If anything, maybe the Bills will say after this game, maybe we'll have two spots on our practice squad for running backs, which they did that last year. They had two running backs on their initial practice squad. Uh, They could have Mims on there, and, and then they could go with Johnson over a Darrington Evans, for instance, just to kind of have some different type of backs waiting in the wings if there were an injury, if you needed to elevate someone. Uh, Mims being a more traditional back, that would be uh, purely a, from a running standpoint. Johnson being someone that if you're looking for a pass-catching option. So that's kind of where I land on Johnson, Matt. Uh, so Johnson, uh, sorry, I was just reading some of uh, the comments here. Uh, is added in the running backs room. And then I want to go to... The linebacker, um, you put out a, a text in the text group today about the Bills' newest linebacker, and one of the first things observation-wise is like a smurf, right? Like a, like right. A, just a tiny dude. And it it just – it's funny in, in a situation where the Bills – and who knows what the, the thought process is here with this player. Just maybe somebody with Dorian Williams dinged up a little bit. Uh, he missed practice today with a calf. Maybe they just wanted to take a look at this guy in the last um, preseason game. Probably not an option for the Mike spot. I don't think they have to get smaller at that spot with uh, Terrell Bernard uh, in the mix there. Uh, But what were your thoughts on the new linebacker? Yeah, White had a good career with uh, the Oklahoma Sooners, but he's undersized. Six feet, 218 pounds. Uh, that's the reason why he went undrafted in the NFL draft. But before the NFL draft, there was the USL USFL draft, and he was uh, selected by the Michigan Panthers. He played in the USFL this year, got some experience. So uh, getting signed this late, again, it's just more so this is a body that we can throw out there in this preseason finale. We can evaluate him. He could be someone that eventually they add to their practice squad, whether it's right uh, at the end of cutdowns or later in the year, if injuries occur, it's someone that they can have tape on, uh, say that they're somewhat familiar with. But uh, again, he's undersized. This has kind of been the Bills' MO on a lot of these linebackers as of late. Um, no, nothing where, uh, again, I think any three of these players, including McGinn, who um, did use the developmental leagues between the USFL and the XFL to really kind of craft his game and get better at his game. I don't see any of them as serious threats to the 53, obviously. 
Speaking of crafting games, how about craft a burger? Al, yes. Craft a burger. Pair your favorite craft beer with your favorite craft burger. Only at Tops right now. Pair delicious craft burgers with delicious craft beers. Tops has the perfect burger and beer pairing guide. Go over to topsmarkets.com backslash burgers and beer and check this out. Whether you are soaking up the final days of summer or grilling out before the football game, Tops has something for everyone. Tops has everything you need to make the perfect burger and beer combination. Check this out. Cobb Salad Burger pairs well with a wheat beer. The Monster Munster Burger pairs well with the Belgian Pal Al. Pizza Turkey Burger pairs well with the Amber Al. And the Blue Cheese Chipotle Burger pairs well with the Brown Al. Which one are you trying, Ryan? Right at the top, top four. What are you going? You know what? I, I do like a pale ale, so I might uh, pair up that burger first and foremost. But you can't go wrong. I love a good burger, uh, and I'm always willing to try whatever's on tap. All right. Uh, what else is on tap here? Let's get into the injury report uh, from today's practice. A couple people new uh, not participating. Khalil Shakir dealing with some soreness to the ribs, didn't participate today. And, you know, I wanted to pair this one really quick with um, a question that we got in the subtext uh, today, which, by the way, if you want to join uh, the subtext, you can get two weeks free right now. 716-528-6727. Text that number. Get yourself all signed up. Uh, we got a text in here. Let me uh, let me find it here. It's from Brett. Brett is is brand. Thank you so much for um, sending us a question. What would be your biggest surprise cut that most diehard fans maybe aren't talking enough about? Thanks for the practice updates. All right. Which, by the way, we deliver we deliver updates every day, Ryan. It, it, there's no days off. Although I took a day off last Friday. And I think a lot of people <laughs> were like, what's going on? Don't take any more days off. Um, Shakir, to me, like he doesn't fit perfectly into this question. But he is a guy that if they do move off of him, and cut him and try to get him back to the practice squad. To me, that's going to be surprising. Now, we had a fan at one of the shows, I think we talked about it, uh, live shows at Wingnuts a couple months ago that was on the cut Khalil Shakir train. I mean, he was shouting it from the roof, rooftops. And I kind of scoffed at the idea at the time, but you know, after you know the, the kind of slow build of this Andy Isabella story, Justin Shorter, who obviously plays a lot of special teams, they just drafted him in the fifth round, like – if Isabella has gotten to a point where he's passed both of those guys, right, with what he brings as a receiver, let's just say hypothetically that's happened, right? Then it's almost like Shakir versus Shorter. What do you think when you're you're looking not only this season but into next season? Shakir's got that versatility to be able to play uh, special teams, return punts, return kicks, but Shorter is a four-phase potential special teamer. So a lot in the mix there, and I think in your 53, did you have him keeping all seven? I did have them keep all seven. I went back and forth on it uh, in terms of, you know, releasing Isabella, releasing Shorter. I even, you know, tinkered with the idea of Khalil Shakir being on the outs. And listen, I don't think Shakir did anything this summer to move past Trent Sherfield, who had a great summer and, and moved past him, the free agent signing. I don't think he did anything to, to move past Deontay Hardy, another free agent addition. I think right now, at best, he's wide receiver number five. Uh, and, and again, that's at best. Hypothetically, like you said, who's to say that they don't like Isabella a little bit more from a uh, receiver standpoint, the speed, the 
similar skill set to Hardy, the fact that he can be a return man, the fact that you tried him out at Gunner on special teams and he did really well on his one snap, getting uh, past the blocker, getting down there and, and making the Steelers take a fair catch. So the, there's a lot of reasons where maybe he's at six. And if you're at six, you're no longer a guaranteed roster lock. So uh, I did have Shakir make it. I've already said numerous times this summer why I like his game, how he developed as a blocker, uh, the fact that he came on late in the season. Yes, he has some issues with drops, uh, but he was a player that I think the Bills still have uh, you know, aspirations for him to be a contributor in this uh, offense. So, you know, to go back to your question, who would be a surprise cut? For me, it was Tyler Medikevich. Uh, other side of the ball, linebacker. He's been this core special teams player since the Bills brought him on. But you're also at the point now where, you know, you have different rules for kickoffs now. And, and yes, he would still be a very important player on punt return duties, things like that. But where is he on the pecking order at linebacker in general? He missed a lot of time this summer with an injury. And, you know, we were told early on in camp he'll be back sooner rather than later. It took a lot longer than anticipated. Um, is he someone that you see coming in and playing actual reps on this defense if there's injuries? You know, maybe, but maybe you would rather keep a Balin Spectre at the end of your roster uh, to be a special team slash backup reserve linebacker. So for me, you know, going through this roster, looking at surprise names, I looked at Medikevich. I considered Saran Neal, uh, who, you know, that we've already talked. He's made some plays in the preseason. He's so good on special teams. Uh, but I, I could see it someone like that. Khalil Shakir, though, I still have him on the safe side of the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, good stuff. I can't wait to read it. Are, are, is it already done? Have you written it? I have the obviously the the roster put out, and then I just have to add some blurbs in there that I already have on another document. So it's it's pretty much done. It'll be up uh, tomorrow, probably early afternoon around or maybe around noon, Wednesday at noon. Uh, there you go, August twenty third. If you're listening, make sure you check that out. Ryan's uh, fifty three man roster projection. I will have my final one uh, next week, maybe Monday uh, after the the last preseason game. We'll let Ryan's uh, have a little time to breathe on the website, and, and, and then we will go from there. Um, where do you want to go next, Ryan? You know, you mentioned the injury report. Was there anyone that you didn't mention yet? I know you mentioned uh, Dorian Williams, but it looks like there were quite a few other names there that we haven't uh, put out here yet on the Shout Podcast. Yeah, so Ely Anku um, continues not to practice Terrell Bernard uh, as well. Um, and, you know, Dawson Knox was back at practice today. I thought Damian Harris did, has done the most. He's done at practice since the knee injury, uh, which I think is uh, a positive side. Matt Barkley with the elbow wasn't even dressed. Um, the, you know, some of the other guys had like jerseys uh, on, but um, Barkley did not. So we'll, we'll track that. And if that elbow thing persists, I mean, the Bills might have to look and, and, and bring in another quarterback. Uh, we'll see if it's going to be a short-term deal. Maybe they just feel good about, you know, uh, maybe releasing Barkley at the cutdown, and which I think is probably where we're headed anyway, and then trying to get him back on the practice squad. Um, Greg Mance, sore knee. Uh, he can't catch a break. He got banged up at the end uh, last year, and that led to him getting cut as well. Uh, and I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, so, you know, it's not a huge injury list, but definitely some guys banged up here uh, toward the end of the preseason. 
Um, let's go to some of the questions that we received uh, on the text line. And I'm actually feeling a little generous today. Like it's not even Christmas. Christmas is even in sight, but I want to give out a gift. Here's what I'm going to let everybody do. Like we got over 150 watching live on YouTube right now. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the show as well. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify or any of the podcast platforms, thank you so much. Like and leave a review there. Why not? We've been offering a two-week free trial to check out the Text Insider Group, the Shout Insider Text Group. I'm going to give you a month. If you DM me at Matt Perino on Twitter, Email me, mperino at nyup.com. I'm going to give you a month free of the insider. See what everybody is talking about, and we'll go from there. Um, so AJ, our, our former podcast producer, proud member of the Shout Insider Text Group. I know the saying is the next year is always the most important year. Obviously, this year is very important for the organization and the players. With that said, what will happen when the Bills face adversity this season? Does Stefan Diggs handle it correctly? Does Sean McDermott start getting on the hot seat by national media fans if the Bills don't make it past the divisional round? Um, I'd argue that some national media have already placed him on the hot seat, and which is silly, of course. And Stefan Diggs, sidebar here, um, quite a development after we talked about this on the show, Ryan. Diggs actually coming out, maybe learning a little bit from the last four or five months and how things kind of developed with that whole uh, frustration narrative that kind of persisted. He comes right out on his Twitter account and puts stuff Stephen A. Smith into a locker and says, who are your sources, bro? And on the same day you posted it, Lonzo Ball actually tweeted something similar at Stephen A. Smith. Uh, apparently he said, and I didn't see this clip, but he said that he, he's not even able to really sit down right now. And so Lonzo Ball did a video of himself like doing one leg uh, squats sitting into a chair. Yeah, a, a rough 48 hours for Stephen a, a. Smith and his sources, but I, I think it was good that Stefan Diggs just put it to bed immediately. Um, and I'm sure Smith probably thought, well, he's not going to get on social media and say anything. We'll just let this kind of linger. So good to nip it in the bud, like Stefan Diggs said, get it uh, out of the equation so that way there are no distractions from this national media trying to start a new narrative. Uh, so anyway, back to AJ, he says, I don't think the expectations have changed, but the st- the scale is definitely moving, moving from Sean McDermott is the guy he had ended the drought as the savior of the franchise to can he actually get the bills over the hump and him ending the playoff drought isn't that big of a deal. Just a couple of things I have interpreted this pa- past month. Thank you guys. And shout out to AJ does a great job over on the Buffalo rumblings network, started his own podcast. Uh, I feel like, you know, watching your just kids grow up, man. It's it's great to see him having all this success. Um, thoughts on all of that, because I think that there's this like really interesting conversation conversation percolating. And I can't remember if um, I talked about it on this show or if we talked about it on a podcast somewhere. But like the 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 scale of Mc, McDermott and B, like if if this season does go off the tracks, right? I got to tell you, it's, I get a funny feeling about the way that the last week has gone, right? From the way that how intense practices got. And listen, I'm, I told you, I've seen practices till we're, till the practices are closed for the past six seasons. Um, this being the sixth, I've never seen a week like that where there was so much persistent, like back and forth between the offense and the defense. Um, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't know how they'll respond. Maybe that, that this kind of intensity will, springboard them into a whole different level of 
competitiveness as a team on Sundays and Mondays. Stefan Diggs and Saran Neal got after it today after uh, one of the last reps of practice, screaming back and forth at each other, um, which has been kind of like a, a little rivalry throughout training camp in the preseason. Um, it, it felt really heated. And, and some of the stuff last week felt really heated. So, you know, if things don't go well, Ryan, who do you think on the scale tips it at this point for you in being in McDermott? If, if there ever was a point where this season, which I, I will go on record saying there, I don't think there's anything that can happen in 2023 that would get one of these two fired. I, yeah, I just don't so, think that God. Yeah, let me agree with that. I don't anticipate anything happening with either uh, Bean or McDermott. But if you're asking me who I think could like would be the first to go in terms of like a sliding scale, uh, I would probably kind of go with the McDermott route. Um, I know Bean has not had the best draft classes over the past few years, but it looks like so far very promising returns on 2023. Uh, obviously, with Kincaid and Osiris Torrance, and to a lesser extent, Dorian Williams, from what we've seen this preseason, uh, I think you know obviously coaches kind of get the brunt of a lot of the blame when things don't go their way in season. Uh, I think that getting rid of Leslie Frazier and they can say that Frazier stepped away for a year, whatever the case may be, but it sure feels like McDermott wants this year to be on his shoulders in terms of the play calling. So if things went off the rails, I think a lot of it would have to do with the defense not performing. And uh, again, you would point the finger back at McDermott in that case. So, you know, uh, again, I do not expect either of them to be on the hot seat this season, regardless of how it goes. Um, but if you were asking me one or the other, I would go in the direction of McDermott. Um, Scott asked who did Neil and who, uh, Stefan Diggs. It was Stefan Diggs and Saran Neil. Uh, he was in coverage on, on Diggs and a route. He kind of went back and forth. Uh, it was right before actually Sean McDermott lines them up at the end and they run kind of gassers. They do that a lot during, uh, training camp and, and, and preseason, probably regular practices, um, even Brandon Bean was out there. I was joking with him. I'm like, dude, you got to lift your knees up a little bit more. You're going to, you're going to pull a hammy out there. Um, but he was gassed. I was giving him a hard time. Um, and they don't call them gassers for nothing. Right, Ryan. Anyway. Right. Uh, so it was Stefan Diggs. Um, Sheila says here, this is an interesting comment. I'm afraid that Sean bit off more than he could chew when he decided to become the DC. It's like, I feel that a little bit from the perspective of, Getting to the place where the Bills got this last two years in terms of efficiency in game management, some of the metrics that come out with how they handle fourth down calls, like late game situations, take out the 13 seconds, of course. It's really high. I mean, they grade out pretty well. And Sean McDermott, I think, has done a good job of positioning people. Whoever helps him make decisions, like they do a really good job of it. I think there's a ton on his plate this year. And the interesting thing is that you watch that Steelers game and there was a play. I think it was Tredavious White on Gunnar Olszewski. Um, and it, and he gave him a 10-yard cushion. And I don't know if it was third and 10 or second and 10. I can't run the down and distance. But they get a first down. And it's like, that's your best corner. That's the guy that plays this scheme better than anybody. And it looked exactly like the defense that we've watched the last couple of years. And, I mean, it, it, it is Sean's defense, right? Like, I'm sure Leslie coached a version of Sean's defense. And, you know, it's you know, Sean doesn't like getting into the strategy. He always says without discussing strategy with respect to your question, like he doesn't want to get too into the weeds with how they do things. But so far it's looked very similar. And I don't know if that is like by design, like there could be this, like 
very calculated plan this preseason to look a lot like the Bills have looked the last couple of years with what they're doing offensively or last season defensively so that when they get to the Jets game, they can just completely flip the script and, you know, run six DBs and blitz off the edge, blitz off the corner, um, you know, spread five wide, never play 12 personnel, something crazy. I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, first off, shout out to Sheila, one of our shout insiders. And, you know, it's it, it's a great talking point because I look at the last preseason game against Pittsburgh, and it's not so much the play that bothered me or anything like that. It's the undisciplined penalties. It's the entering the game, your first offensive play with 10 players on the field, not 11. Yes, they completed a, a pass to uh, Kincaid on that play. But little things like that where maybe if McDermott's only wearing his head coaching cap, he would notice that on offense and either call a timeout or rush someone out there onto the field on defense, maybe to have more time to really work on uh, talking with the positional coaches and uh, an actual true defensive coordinator. And how can we cut down on these pre-snap penalties or these issues that are playing us on both sides of the line? Uh, but time will tell, because like you said, you know, preseason, a lot of time teams are playing r- rather vanilla uh, I'm not saying he's going out there and telling guys to jump off side or to take holding penalties or anything like that. But I, I do worry or wonder if the, the fact that he's in these positional um, you know, meetings now as the DC talking with the line, talking with the linebackers and the secondary and not having as much time as he probably had to just be the head coach and get things together. It is a lot on his plate and how he handles it. Something to definitely watch this year. Um, what you should be watching right now is every time you walk into a Tops friendly markets, quench your thirst for savings because Tops is heating up those summer savings. We got a little time left, right? Until September 2nd. Uh, get $5 in cool cash. Get one point for every $1 you spend on the brands that you love uh, now until September 2nd. Brands like Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Polar, Gold Peak, Gatorade, Tim Hortons, Dunkin' Donuts, Red Bull, you name it. Um, every 35 points is equal to $5 in cool cash. Ask your cashier to rete- redeem your points for a coupon offer. Your next shopping trip. All right, Ryan, I think that's going to do it, man. Let's come back on Thursday. We'll have some fun. Can't wait. All right. Take care, everybody. See you on Thursday.